Good morning. Welcome to Join News Dex. We're coming to you live from our studios in Kokum Limli. We're on DTT because we're free to on DSTV channel 421 and Go TV channel 125. Coming up this morning, Office of Special Prosecutor says it is still conducting investigations into former minister in connection with the alleged stolen money from her house. More acid assures of further updates following conclusion of its investigations. Also this morning, Squatter turns a shaman toll booth into bedroom. We have a report that an engagement with highway authorities on the state of general sanity on the motorway. Plus, what technical institutors boycott in vigilation of NAPTEX following student assault uh, on one of them Tuesday? We have details for you. My name is Aisha Ibrahim. Do stay for details. The Office of the Special Prosecutor says it is still investigating the former sanitation minister, Cecilia Dapa, in connection with alleged stolen huge sums of cash from her Belinkbe home. Five people, including two her domestic workers, and are in court over the alleged theft in former minister's house. Since news broke of the incident, there's been heightened public commentary and interest in developing events. Big among the developments has been the arrest search of Cecilia Dapas' home and subsequent granting of bill of the latter by the OSP. Information available to join News indicates that following the search of her home, a significant amount of cash was discovered in the last couple of days. A statement issued by the Office of the Special Prosecutor this morning is assuring the public it is still conducting investigations into the matter and will brief the public on any further developments. Let's take a full um, complement of the statement. And it says the Office of the Prosecutor Thursday commenced investigation into suspected corruption and corruption-related offences involving the former Minister for Sanitation and Water Resources, Cecilia Bernadapa, in respect of large cash sums reportedly stolen from her house. The OSP has since then taken a number of steps and actions, including placing Ms. Dapa under arrest and conducting searches at two residential properties associated with her. The OSP is still conducting its investigation. The public will be briefed on the outcome of the investigation when it is concluded, including any further steps the office may take. This morning, there is intense pressure mounting on government for passage of the Conduct of Public Officers Bill 2022 to amend and help strengthen the current Public Officers Asset Declaration regime. The bill, when passed into law, would prevent the issue of public officers having unexplained wealth with the laws of the country seemingly impotent in dealing with it. The call comes in the wake of public criticism of former sanitation minister's conduct of hoarding $1 million, 300,000 euros, and millions of Ghana cities in her house. The current public office holders' uh, Declaration of Assets and Disqualification Act 1998, Act 5. 
50 allows public officers to extend the period of asset declaration by six months, a situation many describe as a flagrant violation of Article 2861 of the 1992 Constitution. We'll be sharing excerpts of the bill, which is currently before Cabinet, when my colleague Kwekwa Sante joins us. But I've been joined by Dr. Kojo Pumpunia Sante, who is Director of Advocacy and Policy Engagement at CDD Ghana. Doc, I'm grateful for your time. Hello, Doc. Uh, hello. Doc, how urgent is the passage of this bill into law? Well, good good, mor uh, good morning to, to all your viewers and your listeners. Um, I think the bill has been uh, in and out of Parliament, I think, for over a decade now. Um, it's, it's, for me, it's very, very urgent because it's, it, it tries to address a, a huge gap in our, you know, anti-corruption uh, architecture, particularly our laws around public ethics. There are many, many uh, acts and behaviors of public office holders which are not codified in law. Uh, I mean, they are they are blatantly wrong. I mean, if you look at uh, many, many jurisdictions, uh, they, these these actions are prohibited. But in our case, the the laws are either inadequate or they they are not clear and clarified. So when these things happen, uh, there's always a debate as to whether any law has been broken. If you remember the cash for seats uh, uh, saga that was uh, interrogated in in Parliament, you know, and so on and so forth, you know, anybody that you discuss the story with will see that there's something, you know, not right about the the action of of the public office holders involved, and yet you couldn't find a clear prohibition, you know, in our criminal code or in other laws. So this this aims to address that. So it brings together uh, asset declaration issues, which already has a lot of deficits, conflict of interest issues, nepotism issues, uh, undue influence, uh, gift giving, all these things that, uh, you know, basically if you take any corruption case, there are elements of all of these things scattered, which is almost like the foundation or the trigger for corruption uh, in our country. So really, it's a very, very important law. It will codify uh, and the scope for addressing public uh, public integrity or public ethics uh, for, for everyone so that there's some clarity as to uh, what the offense is and what, what punishment uh, we should be uh, taking, uh, putting in place. Uh, the bill that we had already, uh, the Act 550, what actually yeah. is wrong with it? The reason we want this new bill passed into law? Well, so the current Act 550 does not provide for uh, publication of, of uh, assets and liabilities. And remember, often we talk about assets, but we forget that the disclosure is supposed to also cover liabilities because if you come into government and you owe a lot of money and then all of a sudden all your money is paid, uh, somebody should be asking questions. How how you manage to clear all your debts? Because um, you know that is also uh, uh, a value that you know 
can motivate somebody to contravene the law. So it doesn't allow for publication. It doesn't allow for verification of the assets. You know, um, uh, so somebody goes and, and put in their document that I own this, I own that. How do we know that you own it? Uh, when Mr. Domlevo was, he set up a system for trying to verify, you know, uh, the the uh, the submissions that are made by public office holders. Uh, this has to be clarified in the law and made very, very clear so that people know that it's not just for you to submit it. It needs to be verified so that we are sure that what you say you own, you own. And then if anything comes up and we need to cross-check that with what you have now acquired, uh, we can make the attributions quite clearly. So it doesn't have that. The, the scope of uh, actors that it covers, it doesn't cover, for example, spouses, uh, which in many other jurisdiction it, it covers and we know uh, that uh, people use uh, their spouses and children and so on to hide uh, you know illicit wealth so there are, there are there are challenges with it that needs to be you know to be addressed and and this uh, should address it there are already calls by some other pressure groups and uh, they're also calling on CSOs to join hands with them to put pressure on government, how does the CDD intend to push government to get this done? I mean, as I said, this has always been a, de- a decade, you know, over. If the MPP, when the MPP uh, came into office in 2017, this was one of their prime uh, tools for addressing anti-corruption, and I think everybody agreed that this has been long overdue. Uh, I've been, I've been, I've been involved in in the. Uh, reviewing the drafts and, and so on many, many years ago. Uh, I've attended several meetings and went workshops to review, you know, led by Shrive. And uh, it's, there's been a reluctance in, in Parliament and a reluctance uh, from Cabinet to approve the bill. The, the Attorney General was one of the key promoters of the bill. Uh, he submitted it into Cabinet and you know, even when we had an opportunity to meet the president uh, uh, as citizen coalition, we reiterated, you know, this call for this to be done. And it seems that even now that it's become uh, an IMF condition, uh, there's still a dragging of the feet. So for me, uh, politicians have to stop talking and act if they, they are serious about dealing with this, then we have got well past, you know, uh, political promises. It's before cabinet. Uh, cabinet should be able to uh, approve it for parliament to look at it and, and, and have the law, um, you know, uh, passed for 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 implementation. Mm. I'm grateful for your time, Dr. Kojo Pompone Asante, as uh, the director of advocacy and policy engagement with CDD Ghana. I've been joined by Kojo Asante, um, Asante who is our parliamentary correspondent. He has been monitoring this bill and what it will do uh, to our public uh, officers. Kweku, what does uh, what are the details of this bill? What does it intend uh, to achieve? Well, Aisha, so I can currently say that that bill is not currently before Parliament. It has gone through the Office of the Attorney General. It has gone before Cabinet, and the expectation is that as the pressure keeps mounting from civil society organizations, government will put that bill before Parliament for approval. But to the crux of your question, what this bill seeks to do 
is to prescribe how officers can act. For instance, in procurement, can officers of the state or ministers, public officers, if they have a certain interest in a certain business, can this business apply for a certain contract within the organization, for instance? That bill seeks to do that. It seeks to generally detail how public officers must conduct themselves, even in terms of advertising, in terms of how these public officers use the public offices to their own benefit. There have been consistent calls by civil society over the past few weeks and over the past few months, especially on the back of this Cecilia Dapas saga, that there is that need for the public officers' bill to come before Parliament for the House to approve it so that public officers can have a specific code of conduct that guides their conduct. Currently, there is no sector that guides them except for a few laws that have been made already in existence and the general idea of what corruption is and what public officers cannot do. So currently, there's no set bill before the House, and we expect that with Cabinet completing its work, as Attorney General has repeated, it will come before the House. There was one in 2013 that was brought before Parliament by the John Romani Mahama administration, but that is no longer in use because government is seeking to bring in a new, a new bill for that purpose. So Aisha, generally, what this bill seeks to do is to draw the contours of how public officers can act and how they cannot act this will prescribe clearly certain things that they do that may inure to their benefit, but that may not inure to the benefit of the state. They cannot use their public office to do things that inure to their own benefit without a state benefiting. And so the Code of Conduct of Public Offices is such a crucial piece of legislation that is expected to come. But I should say that Parliament is expected to rise next week. Even if it came this week or the next, it will not be passed unless it came under a certificate of urgency. And so... The civil society pressure is now getting to government, and we expect that it will react in the coming days. Kwasante is our parliamentary affairs correspondent, and he brought us details of the conduct of public officers' bill currently before cabinet, which is expected to get to parliament for it to be passed into law. Let's now take you to Gomuafete, the Church of Pentecost there, where the former president, John Dramani Mahama and John Ajikum Kofo have been addressing the National Development Conference. It's behind. We have just about 7,000 congregations across the country compared to 20,000. I wonder when we're going to hit that number. It is normal for our church groups and Muslim leaders to invite us for crusades and Quranic recitations. As far as I can remember, this is my first time to be invited and to attend a massive gathering such as this, dedicated not to the subject of the divine, but rather to a secular discourse on the issue of moral vision and national development. I wish this conference every success as you navigate what is a quite complicated subject. As I've always advocated, broad consultation is important for consensus building on all challenges that face us as a nation. And it helped me very well when I was president. The Sinti Forum where we gathered all stakeholders to discuss the economy was one such forum that helped us in terms of stabilizing our economy. The conference on stakeholders on education, which was held under President Jerry John Rawlings, is a conference that birthed the GET Fund, which has become the single biggest and effective instrument 
in providing education infrastructure all over the country. And I dare say the Church of Pentecost has set the tone. And it is my hope that our president and our leaders will take a cue to create the opportunity for cross-fertilization of ideas on vexed issues and challenges that face our country, such as our current economic crisis and important issues like the implementation of the free SHS. Consensus building does not diminish a leader. It rather projects a leader's strength in carrying along with his vision the people that he leads. Over the next two days, Ghanaians from all walks of life under the auspices of the Church of Pentecost will have the opportunity to dialogue on the issue of moral vision and national development. This could not have come at a better time. When the world is faced with many challenges and crises, climate change, pandemics, as we witnessed recently with the COVID-19, conflicts, economic crises, which all threaten the very existence of humankind on this earth. Recent developments of 5G, artificial intelligence, is expected to profoundly change life in this world as we know it. Coming home to our own country, Ghana, we are faced with an erosion of our traditional values and westernization of our societies and the adoption of alien cultures imported from elsewhere. And so the question one might ask is, what happened to our value of cleanliness? Why are cities so dirty? When we were children growing up, we all woke up early in the morning to sweep around our compound houses. What happened to that ethic? What happened to our value of being each other's, each other's uh, keeper, each his brother's keeper? Where communal assistance to each other on our farms and in other tasks that we had to undertake were easily available? What happened to our abhorrence of greed and theft? Why do we celebrate persons who today are wealthy with dubious sources of income, and yet society is not concerned about what the source of income is, and it's only about the person's wealth? Ladies and gentlemen, ethics have a direct impact on national development. And as a student of history, I can say unequivocally that in history, all civilizations that have fallen have done so after they lost their moral and ethical compass. It is our prayer that Ghana continues to maintain its moral compass in order that we can continue to ensure national development, prosperity, and dignity for our, uh, for our people. I've looked at your list of speakers, and I can say confidently that they will do justice to the theme of this conference. And therefore, I have no other task than to wish you every success over the next two days in this National Development Dialogue. I thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hello. Right, thank you. Our Father, we are very grateful. We 
want to plead with the house that we've been informed due to bad weather the arrival of the vice president has delayed a bit but he will surely join us very soon chairman we have in our midst his excellency uh, if i don't mention your name well ambassador to um, uh, ethiopian ambassador please if i don't mention your name correctly forgive me we have his excellency teferi fikuri gusanyi um, Ethiopian ambassador to Ghana. Uh, brother, you are warmly welcome. Very grateful. We are told the vice president has arrived, so the vice of Pentecost give us one song whilst this ushered. Well, that is the National Development Conference you're witnessing there. We've had some speakers, including the former president, uh, John Kufo. Uh, we'll be bringing his sound to you shortly. We've also heard from the former chief justice and other uh, big speakers. Uh, let's listen to former president Kufo on what he had to say on the National Development Conference. Engulfing our country and indeed the whole world. And this forum is to deliberate on the crucial theme of moral vision and national development. In the grips of the maelstrom of maddening scientific and technological developments around the world, mankind seems to be losing the sense of itself. And sadly, of its creator, the almighty God, And this forum is to deliberate on the crucial theme of moral vision and national development. In the grips of the maelstrom of maddening scientific and technological developments around the world, mankind seems to be losing the sense of itself and sadly of its creator the almighty god himself Parliament has approved a bill, the bill substituting death penalty with life imprisonment. According to uh, members of parliament, uh, we showed that the House should add a condition to prevent a pardon of such persons 
And according to Afenyo Markins, who is Deputy Majority Leader, he said it is important to change and it's a day to celebrate. Once again, with a very heavy heart, that I have to make this kind of statements on the floor of the house. That's because it has to do with uh, police brutality once again. In my conference, I'm gradually losing count on how many times I have to make this kind of statement on this floor. Uh, Mr. Speaker, because of the, the turbulence that it has created in the constituency, I'm trying to be as brief as possible, hoping that you will direct the Interior Minister to brief the House on the facts also from the police. Mr. Speaker, this has to do with an unfortunate incident that happened in one of the communities in Aswan's constituency called Guru over the weekend on Sunday where the police is being alleged to have brutalized a young man, Yusuf Salahuddin, age 32, and abandoned him to his fate that led to his death. The speaker from the family and the bystanders, the police were, as usual, on their usual soup in that area between Aswansi Railway Quarters and the Wayek where you know there are a lot of uh, uh, these quarters. Individuals were running helter-skelter, and this young man who had just come out of a house started to run. But unfortunately, he ran into the police. And according to the bystanders and the family, he was heavily brutalized by the police till he was unconscious. And the sad thing, Mr. Speaker, is that they left him there and by the time they were done and left the scene, where the members of the community could rise there, the guy was almost dead. And when they got to the hospital, he was pronounced dead on arrival. Let's stay a bit longer on this, and I've been joined via Zoom by lawyer Francis Susu, who is also MP for Medina. Uh, he's been uh, on the interest uh, he has an interest in this bill in fact it's a private member's bill he is part of those who uh, submitted this bill I'm grateful for your time uh, Mr. Susu what do you make of the latest development on this bill well I, I think that uh, it is first of all good morning and a very good morning to your cherished listeners and viewers I, I think the latest development is a win uh, for our democracy is a win for Ghana, uh, and it just adds us to the committee of nations that have moved away from the use of death penalty as a means of punishment. Uh, Ghana will be joining some other uh, 27 African countries and 127 uh, global, I mean, other international countries who have all moved away from the use of the death penalty clearly because death penalty is too final and there could be mistakes in prosecution and so on and so forth. So for me, it's a big win and I think we should be proud of ourselves as a nation that we are ready to make this major policy shift. What's your response to those who say that this is on our law books and it doesn't bite, so let it be there so it can serve as a deterrent 
to those who want to perpetuate crime? Well, uh, in the first place, we know we move away from uh, emotional um, or, let me say, subjective approach to passing law to a more objective approach to passing law. There are researches that have been done. I mean, all over the world, there is no single research that shows that retention of death penalty uh, in any way uh, kind of deter people from committing crimes. Uh, in all the African countries that were ahead of us in uh, abolishing death penalty, uh, there's nowhere do we have one single research evidence that points to the fact that points to the fact that that points to the fact that uh, the non-existence of a death penalty uh, actually facilitated some commission of crime. Indeed, the best example we got was from the U.S. because the U.S. retains death penalty at the federal level. Uh, today, if you look at the statistics, even the most recent statistics, 2023 statistics, uh, violent crime and murder rates in the U.S. are extremely high. And now, in the U.S., there are many states who have abolished death penalty and others who retain death penalty. Now, there is a consistent study from 2010 all the way to 2019, which is a comparative analysis between states that are taking away the death penalty and states that still retain the death penalty. And consistently, the evidence available points to the fact that those who retain death penalty have higher rates of murder and violent crimes as compared to those who do not retain the death penalty. And again, if you look at the most peaceful countries in the world today, uh, you take Canada, for example, they abolished death penalty way back. And so uh, there is really, really no correlation between retention of death penalty and, and then deterrence. And secondly, the, the argument that Oh, it doesn't matter. It's on a studied book. You don't use it. I mean, if for 30 years you don't use the provision, I mean, uh, any legal reform uh, commission uh, uh, would tell you that then the law is, is not is not right. I mean, if you can if you have a law on your study book you cannot use for 30 years, then there's a problem, you know, with, with that law. And and the, the the biggest challenge with it having and not using it is the fact that you don't bring closure to put victims as well as convicts. Because when you convict someone for murder or for any offense carrying the penalty, uh, say smuggling in gold or uh, diamond or attempted murder or anything, and you convict the person and send the person to death, and you don't kill the person for 30 years, then there is no closure for that person. At the same time, the victim never has closure because the victim goes home uh, thinking that, well, the person is, is deserted a pint of flesh because uh, the cause is the person be killed, and yet the person is not killed for 10 years. So the victim do not have closure also. But where you have a, your, your law aligns with the regime, that is that the person is sentenced to life imprisonment. Once the court pronounces life imprisonment, everybody has closure, both the victim and the one who has been convicted. Then finally, um, research actually shows, now since independence, the total number of people who have been killed in Ghana is about 49 using this law, including the former head of state. Now, when you watch the, the execution pattern, most of them happen during military regimes, so not even civil regimes. And so it's been argued that the death penalty can be very arbitrary and it can be a weapon in the hand of any military junta to suppress you know, uh, views of dissent and so on and so forth. And 
in many of the countries uh, globally that still retain the penalty, it's always been used as a tool to suppress other political opponents or political political views. The classic example is Myama. Myama is in Asia, and Myama has had a, the death penalty provision since 1980 and has never used it. So for 43 years, they never used those provisions. But last year, when a military, uh, there was a military takeover, four of their leaders were executed. Trials were, they did trials at night. You know, like very, very horrible uh, trials. And as you speak now, about 100 others are on their floor waiting to be executed. And so the fact that the law is there, we are not using it, is not, is not sufficient. If it is not something we endorse as a people, uh, we don't want it, we must, we must take it away. And historically, Ghana has shown that we've always wanted to remove this law. For example, in 2011, the Constitutional Review Commission's work pointed to the fact that there was a recommendation that we should remove the death penalty. Then in 20, uh, that was in 2010, 2011, the then government, with a government white paper, accepted the recommendation that we should remove death penalty and replace it with a life sentence, except that the government did not finish the amendment before we lost power in 2016. And since 2017, uh, nothing has actually been done until uh, when uh, uh, I came to uh, a parliament in 2021, except for the advocacy, because Amnesty International has been at the forefront advocating uh, persons like uh, lawyer Martin Pebu had you know, proposed all the strategies that allow us to amend the to amend the criminal offenses act rather than taking the constitutional route. And so once I got the opportunity in Parliament, with the stakeholders and support of all these major stakeholders and coalition against the penalty, uh, led by the Amnesty International, lawyer Martin Pebu and others, I was able to lay this private member's bill that has gone through all the processes and got passed yesterday. And so I think that Ghana should be proud that we have done something, you know, uh, uh, cross-party uh, uh, passing of this bill that Ghana at a global stage as uh, a country that is human rights compliant. Congratulations to you and the members who pushed for this. Uh, let's get on to other stories. By the way, that was Francis Soso, his MP for Medina. He's also a human rights lawyer. Now, since the cessation of collection of road tolls uh, in the country in November 2021, many of the booths have deteriorated, with some fast becoming bedrooms for miscreants. The Ashaman Toll Plaza in the Ashaman Municipality of the Greater Accra Region is one of such booths that has been turned into a sleeping place for some unidentified Persons. Carlos Coloni of uh, the Joy Newsroom reports from Ashaima. Since the decommissioning of towboats across the country, many of such towboats have become a pale shadow of themselves. One of such towboats is the one here at the Ashaiman towboats. It has become the bedroom for many uh, miscreants. And so this one, for instance, has no lock. As you can see, it's open ajar. We will go inside to look at the state of this very place. Now, as you can see in, we see this place has become like a sleeping place for someone who we are told comes here from time to time. You can see the person's um, dress or shirt on the bed. And then if we look beneath here, you can see the mosquito quail that he bends. Now, he lifts it this way, 
and he goes out and comes back as and when he likes. I, I, I'm, I'm a newspaper seller. So when I, when I come here, I saw um, a gentleman coming from the, the two boots inside. And uh, they say, uh, okay, they, they say they should use it as a toilet and other, but he uses uh, it as it's in this thing, in room. Then he come out, then peace. Then he go out. Therefore, what he's doing there, I don't know. Uh -huh. Then every time, then he come back, then he come and sleep. Uh -huh. Because they say they should use it as a toilet and uh, uh, we need uh, this thing, room, but the guy is using it as a, this thing, in bed, in bedroom. He to sleep there early morning. I saw newspaper, so I was yet 6 o'clock to 6.30, and I saw him coming out of, out of the of the room. So we're scheduled to speak with officials of the roads and highways to update us on what plan they have for these toll booths, but all efforts to reach them uh, during the bulletin has been unsuccessful. We'll try definitely to get them to get some answers on this. Let's take a break. Meanwhile, on News Desk, when we return, this business. Crystal clear and thrilling podcast and live shows. Download and listen to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, MyJoy Online, Amazon services like Echo, Amazon Music, and Audible, Stitcher, Adam Online, Overcast, and Pandora. Take note of everything. Sign up for the multimedia digital platforms now to stay updated. Six technical universities have set out to lock knives and ladles in the quest for the bragging rights as the Big Chef Tertiary School 2023. We know we are the best and we are not shaken by anyone. Hey, 
Chinese have been more. We are all the way from Takwa, the Western, to Greater Accra. Oh no, come on. Visitors cannot come from anywhere and come and defeat us. We can prepare dishes that are going to see the judges all day. We are here to win. We are taking everything back to home. The battle line is drawn. Big Chef Tertiary shows this and every Sunday at 5 p.m. only on Joy Prime. Big Chef Tertiary, the kitchen has no boundaries. Joy Prime, your ultimate experience. The World Technical Institute have boycotted invigilation of NAPTEX following students' assault on tutors yesterday. Let's go live to Rafiq Salam on this development. Rafiq, uh, what can you report from the school? Hello, Rafiq. Rafiq. All right, so uh, Rafiq is on the beat for us. He'll be joining us shortly, but first let's listen to some angry teachers who have boycotted invigilation of the examinations. Yesterday, around 10 o'clock, I was in my office when I had a call from my master saying that the student have hit his toe their master. So I have to stop whatever I'm doing in the office just to try to see what was happening. So when I got to the scene, I saw blood oozing from the teacher's eye. And the student was also there. So quickly, because it was a criminal issue, I asked them to send the student to the police and then the teacher to also go to uh, medical attention. So later on, I wanted to find out what actually transpired. The teacher concerned is a husband staff. Their duty is to ensure that all students need dormitories to go to class. I talked to the teacher, he go to the dormitory and the student was wearing improper. He asked me to go and change and go to class. The student was resistant. He asked to go and change. But the student said, teacher, I don't know what you, what, what you are doing. I'm writing my final letters. The teacher said, so what? Go and change. In the process, the student picked a stone from the ground and hit the uh, the teacher's eye. That's what the teacher told me. So we have picked them to the police station. I think they were true. This student's concern seems from first year. You know, TPS service have brought a policy. We call it the guardian and counseling policy. The policy is that to handle students who are going wayward. So we have some students in the school. And some of them have gone through this guardian and counseling and they have performed. So I hope was that this student should have performed. But you know, you can't have 100%. But we should allow them to register to, to write. So when that happened, that particular student have got a very close friend who was also in the dormitory. So when he saw that, he also wanted to run. 
The students wanted to grab him. No, no, he was having a scissors in the pocket. He removed it and took one of the students to one. So we have to take that student to the police station. As we pick up, the students are <coughs> at the police custody and they are going to investigation. We can now go to Rafiq Salam, who is monitoring events for us. Rafiq, uh, tell us more about this incident. The incident, uh, according to the victim himself, uh, Mr. Ismail Froko, uh, he told me that it occurred somewhere around 10.30 uh, a.m. Uh, yesterday when he spotted uh, this student who was improperly dressed. He asked him to go and change, uh, but the student wouldn't budge. And so we held the shirt of the student and said, don't waste my time, go and change and come back. But when they were working on the walkways, and then this student decided to pick the stone and allegedly hit the right eye of, of this tutor. And so a lot of people came into the scene and then he was uh, taken to the hospital. Uh, he was taken to the police station where he was given a, a medical form and then he attended, uh, he was attended to at the WA municipal uh, hospital. The student in question uh, was also handed over to the police. But uh, I shall let me also tell you there was also another incident that occurred at the school because the the guy uh, the alleged uh, the suspect also had somehow an alleged partner in crime who was also hiding in one of the dormitories. And when he saw the scene, he also wanted to run away. And then in an attempt to also arrest him, he used a scissors uh, to cut. Uh, one of the students, so he's also uh, behind bars. So for now, Kalma has returned uh, to the school. Uh, nothing untoward is happening. The teachers, after refusing to invigilate the city vet, uh, are now uh, back. But the exam was supposed to start around nine o'clock, uh, and it uh, started, so it was late, uh, started from around nine uh, forty-five. For now, Kalma has returned to the school. But I also spoken to the, uh, the victim, the housemaster, and he told me that he has forgiven uh, the student whatever that transfer, but he's only looking up to the management of the school, whatever decision that they will take, he will be in support of that decision. Rafiq Salam with that update from the NAPTEX uh, school where tutors uh, boycotted invigilation earlier, but he says calm has returned in that school. When we return from this break, we'll be telling you in business what is happening between the European Union and Ghana in terms of economic partnership. Do stay. The Multimedia Group through Joy Sports and Insurer Sports presents a half-year thought leadership event under the theme Phil GPL Centers, the challenge and the solutions. Date, Monday, July 31, 2023. Venue, Labadi Beach Hotel. Time, 6 p.m. prompt. This climax is an eight-week survey on reasons why the fans are not filling the spectator stands for Ghana Premier League games. This will be the biggest brainstorming session ahead of the much-awaited 2023-24 Ghana Premier League season. It will draw participation from all relevant bodies and industry experts within the football family. This includes the leadership of the Ghana FA, the Ghana League Clubs Association, BFAG, sponsors, supporters unions, the Sports Writers Association of Ghana, and retired as well as active footballers. 
Fulfill GPL Centers, the challenge and the solutions on July 31. We'll be live on the Joy News Channel and Joy 99.7 FM. Let's come together and help fill GPL Centers. This is an insurance sports initiative powered by Joy Sports, Joy News and Joy 99.7 FM. TV's newest package, GoTV Super Plus, has all the great channels you love on GoTV Super. Plus, big-time international and kids' channels the whole family will love. Plus, plenty of live Premier League action on Super Sports Premier League channel. It's the package you ask for and we listen. GoTV Super Plus, available from 1 August. GoTV. Lo- We've had news file over the weekend and uh, an interesting part of the conversation. Focused- oh, no. We are out of range. Oh, don't worry, Daddy. I have Alexa in my bag. Alex what? Alexa. Open Multimedia Ghana and play Joy FM. Super Hits Radio. Radio. Joy 99.7. Listen to Joy FM. Hits FM. Love FM. Live on your Amazon Echo. Listen to your favorite multimedia radio stations live on your Amazon Echo device by saying, Alexa, open Multimedia Ghana, play Joy FM or Hits FM or Love FM or catch up on your favorite podcast by saying, Alexa, play and then the name of your favorite podcast from Multimedia Ghana. For a list of all podcasts available, say Alexa. Ask Multimedia Ghana to browse programs. And we are back like we never lost signal. Alexa, welcome to Multimedia. Union, as part of moves to strengthen its economic partnership with Ghana, has joined the International Trade Center to provide support for coffee farmers in Ghana and other African countries. The move forms part of initiatives by the two global partners to promote sustainable farming and open up opportunities for farmers. Here's more in this report. The program, which began with a baseline report on coffee production in Ghana, seeks to provide support for smallholder farmers to increase the production of their crops sustainably. According to the first Councillor of Trade of the European Union Delegation to Ghana Office, Rafael Kwaito, this initiative will ensure that Ghanaian farmers benefit from some added value on coffee products and market access in the European Union. We want to make sure that... Uh... The partnership that we have is real partnership, so that European uh, importers, producers, uh, traders, actors in the sector of coffee can really partner with the uh, Ghanaian uh, uh, companies, in particular with the Ghanaian farmers, uh, which I think is, uh, is the, key, the key sector that we want to support in this project. 
and also the other actor in the in the in the in the area. So we have the traders, we have the, the marketing people, uh, we have the roasters also, which uh, I think is important for making sure that the added value uh, is kept in Ghana, so that Ghana benefit of the uh, value addition of the of the of the coffee sector. The International Trade Center is pledging commitment to ensure that farmers are producing according to the internationally acceptable practice in order not to lose out in the market. Here is National Coordinator Alliances for Action Ghana Sector and Enterprise Competitiveness, Lawrence Atipo. These days, uh, if you go and cut new forests and you plant your coffee, nobody is going to buy it. So you have the coffee, but was it produced according to environmental and human rights standards? So that is a big differentiator. So if we start producing our coffee in a sustainable way, the, the, the market will switch naturally to us. Because the legislation, especially in the EU, is saying that if we find that you cut new forests to produce this commodity, you can be fined up to 5% of your turnover. That is huge. Nobody wants to do that. So the importers and everybody who buys coffee wants to buy coffee with a story, cocoa with a story. So once we have a good story for our coffee, it will be not only appealing to our youth, our young people, our producers, but also to the markets, and we can optimize income. President of the Coffee Federation of Ghana, Chief Nathaniel Ibo-Insako, called on government to initiate steps in making coffee production attractive to many farmers. Cocoa doesn't come anywhere near coffee when it comes to foreign exchange. And yet, as a country, we have the arable land, we have the youth, we have everything that can help us to get coffee. To the extent that even the lands that have been degraded and destroyed by the illegal mining can be reclaimed to produce coffee. The Robusta coffee can do well on those lands. Other crops wouldn't do well, but the Robusta coffee can do well and help us to even revive and rehabilitate such lands. And then it will end up giving us foreign exchange. Now, the Association of Ghana Industries is asking industry players to be heavy on corporate social responsibility initiatives to ensure sustainability. This, they believe, would go a long way to expand operations for more profits. According to Chief Executive of the Association, Setchuma Kwabwa, it is imperative for corporate institutions to not cut budget for CSR. He spoke to Joy Business at the 2023 edition of the National CSR and Sustainability Conference organized by the Center for CSR West Africa. Corporate social responsibility is to promote the contribution of firms to the socio-economic development of communities within their sphere of influence. According to Seth Chuma Kobwa, most CSRs will yield positive and sustainable impact towards the achievement of the principles of the Millennium Development Goals and sustainable livelihoods. Your profit is only sustainable when it is workers, your environment, your community, and everything. If you make profit today, it does not guarantee you profit tomorrow. And for every business, what you want to do is to be able to sustain the profits. You may make small margin today, but if it's sustained over a long time, you are created very heavy profit for you. So businesses understand this principle, that the profit you make is not only for today, it's also for tomorrow and the next day and then the years ahead. So therefore, you must operate in a responsible manner that guarantees success, that guarantees sustainability. 
He reiterated the need for corporate institutions to work on expanding their CSRs. The Center for Corporate Social Responsibility West Africa is a leading sub-regional CSR and sustainability advocacy organization registered in Ghana. The 10th edition of the National CSR and Sustainability Conference was under the theme Shaping the Future of Businesses Sustainably Post-COVID-19. And that's it for the segment. We will be right back. The Multimedia Group through Joy Sports and Insura Sports presents a half-year thought leadership event under the theme Phil GPL Centers, the challenge and the solutions. Date, Monday, July 31, 2023. Venue, Labadi Beach Hotel. Time, 6 p.m. prompt. This climaxes an eight-week survey on reasons why the fans are not filling the spectator stands for Ghana Premier League games. This will be the biggest brainstorming session ahead of the much-awaited 2023-24 Ghana Premier League season. It will draw participation from all relevant bodies and industry experts within the football family. This includes the leadership of the Ghana FA, the Ghana League Clubs Association, BFAG, sponsors, supporters' unions, the Sports Writers Association of Ghana, and retired as well as active footballers. Phil GPL Centers, the challenge and the solutions on July 31 will be live on the Joy News Channel and Joy 99.7 FM. Let's come together and help fill GPL Center. This is an insurance sports initiative powered by Joy Sports, Joy News, and Joy 99.7 FM.